Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 4, 1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Joel just kills me between his song selection and little sermon there. I don't know if anything else really needs to be said today, so we're going to go ahead and take communion, and that's okay. For those of you that do not know me, which, by the way, you guys just crush the second service. There's a ton of people here, and that is, that is awesome. Everybody likes to get up early, I guess. But for those of you that don't know me, my name is Alex Arguello. I'm one of the, the elders here, um, and it's a joy to be with you this morning preaching God's Word. Um, I, I'm excited to, to be able to do that today, but before we get there, like Pastor Justin did last week, I just want to express my thanks um, for last month, all of the, the gifts and the cards and the kind words that you guys sent. That was a blessing to me. I look forward to that every October, being able to receive those from you guys. Um, it's really good to be one of your pastors, so thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I did receive a couple bottles of whiskey, which at first I was like, what in the world is happening here? When they asked what I like and what I'm into, uh, I wasn't very helpful. So then I'm getting these bottles of whiskey and I'm immediately texting Pastor Justin. I'm like, dude, I think that they're sending me your gifts. Because <laughs> we know, you know that's something that he likes. But what I found out is my wife ratted me out. She's the one that said, hey, he does enjoy whiskey. I'm like, Emily, you're not supposed to tell people that. <laughs> right? According to Pastor Justin's joke, so people might think that I just drink water and eat broccoli and kale all the time, right? Maybe, maybe a little bit of chicken here and there, but it's true. I do enjoy a little bit of whiskey from time to time. Um, the truth is out now, but let me just really quickly teach you something and then just give a shameless plug to the gym that we own. The human body needs to enjoy food and drink, regardless of nutritional value, on occasion in order to survive and thrive. So there you go. Heard it here. Even something like whiskey can be good for your health on occasion. Now, that's not church doctrine or anything. That's just me talking. All right, today we are continuing a series that we're actually in the middle of called Why We're Not Catholic. <laughs> also a joke, and I'm, I, I think I'm done with all the jokes, but we are in this series where we're actually looking back at the Protestant Reformation and we're talking about Reformation theology. We're looking at five solas, two of which we've already talked about, sola um, gratia and sola um, scriptura. Today we're talking about sola fide, as you probably see, right, on this sweatshirt that I get to wear with the actually topic of the sermon right on it. It's interesting, never done something like this before. I feel like if I lose my place, I can just sit here and do this type of thing to you guys and it'll be fine. I'm also looking forward to a couple weeks where Pastor Rob's going to be preaching and you know what Pastor Rob wears when he preaches, so... I'm taking bets on whether or not he's going to wear his suit jacket over top of this sweatshirt. I'm pretty sure that's, that's going to happen. 
But the series was, was actually a bigger part, a part of a bigger idea that we had at the beginning of the year where we were praying for gospel renewal. I'm, hopefully you guys remember that. We wanted to see renewal happen in our church, gospel renewal happen in our church, and then that spread out to the community that we live in, right? Our church and the community that we live in need the true gospel and we need it badly. You probably see our culture moving further and further away from being impacted by the gospel. So we wanted to look back at another dark time in history where the darkest thing about that time was the gospel, the true gospel was lost. It was being hidden by, at the time, a corrupt Roman Catholic church and taken out of the hands of God's people. At that time, God seemed to use one man, Martin Luther, to start the fight against this. And he came to know the truth of the gospel by first trying to seek after God through what Rome taught, but he never really experienced rest or never really experienced joy in doing that. All he could ever see is God as an angry God. He couldn't see him as a loving God or a gracious God. But through studying and studying the Bible, God one day showed him what his word actually taught, and this led him to start the Protestant Reformation. Then other men came along like Calvin, Knox, Zwingli, maybe you've heard of these men before, to continue this fight. We know these men as the reformers. Their fight was about bringing reform to the church. All of these men taught us so much and their teaching changed the entire world for the better. They were all willing to die for the truths of each of these solas. They would separate any of these solas from the others, but sola fide, seemed to have a special significance, at least in their time, as they battled against the teachings of Rome. Martin Luther said sola fide is the article upon which the church stands or falls. John Calvin said that sola fide is the hinge by which everything else turns. J.I. Packer, a more recent theologian, said that the doctrine of sola fide is the atlas that carries the whole of the Christian faith on its shoulders. Man, I don't know how I got this assignment to teach you guys about this, but that's what we're gonna do today. But there's something else. Not only do we need to dive into that today and learn why these men put so much weight on sola fide and hopefully do that in a way where we're all brought to worship of our God, right? We don't really just want a history lesson of the, of the Reformation, but we also have to talk about what does this have to do with us right now? How do the five solas, specifically sola fide, apply to us today as we live in another time where we need gospel renewal? So that's where we're going this morning. Teach and preach sola fide. Again, not so that we can just understand it and praise God for it, but then walk out of here and not be affected by it the rest of our week, but so that we can understand it and praise God for it and then go out and live in this culture like we actually believe it. That's a big task, so let's pray. Father, we, uh, man, we've already done some good things today, Lord. We thank you um, for our time that we've already had together, Lord, being able to hear you call us into worship and be able to respond to that with singing. So thank you for that time, Lord, but now we need you again. We need you to help us here, Lord. This is an important truth. It's a truth that um, not only do we need to hear, but we need to be affected by it. We need to hear it and then walk out of here and be different people, Lord. And we won't do that on our own. We won't do that on our own. So we need your grace. We need your help, Lord. So help me as I preach. Help these guys as they receive 
the preaching of your word, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's first go to our text today. So if you have a Bible, what you're going to do is open it up to the book of Romans, chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 as we're read. Now, this is an important text for the gospel. It's an important text for sola fide, for Reformed theology. And of course, there were many other texts that we could have went to. But Paul here, in his letter, just to start with some context, is laying out for the Roman believers a doctrine, a teaching, a doctrine called justification by faith. We'll get into that big word, justification, but in his teaching on this doctrine, he started in chapter three. So I'm just gonna read this for us. In chapter three, verse 21, he says, but now the righteousness of God, that's an important phrase, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So right there, he clearly lays out the doctrine of justification. But now, as we move into our text in chapter four, he's gonna give us an example. He's gonna give us an example to try to prove what he just said, right? Try to prove his point. So let's read our text. Chapter four, verse one through eight. Paul says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to come, God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. So we might say that this first part that we're gonna go through is answering the question of why faith? Why does faith matter? Why, is it so, why was it so important to the reformers and why should it be so important for us today? Well, here's the answer and then we'll flesh it out. Faith matters because it is the instrument that God chose to bring the righteousness of Christ to the believing sinner. I'm gonna say that again. Faith matters because it is the instrument that God chose to bring the righteousness of Christ to the believing sinners. You see, the five solas were all about this question. How is a sinner made right with a holy God? How is an unjust person justified before God? Important question, isn't it? You see, the Reformation wasn't just this friendly theological discussion that really didn't matter in real life. It was about getting an essential truth of the gospel right, this word justification. Well, you've probably heard us say that the gospel changes everything. So of course we wanna get the gospel right, and if we're gonna get the gospel right, then we must get justification right. So what's it mean? Here's the definition. To be justified is to be righteous in the sight of God. To be justified is to be righteous in the sight of God. Now in the Reformation, both Catholics and Protestants agreed 
about that. They agreed that in the final analysis, the act of justification is something that, they, that, that God does. Justification is something that God does. And they agreed that it's what's called a judicial declaration. That means that it was God who judicially declared one as righteous. It's not us that declares us as righteous or looks at somebody else and says that they are righteous like our culture is trying to do right now. It's God. So we can think of him, God, as a judge, right? Which shouldn't be too hard because God is a judge. And he's going to take a look at each of us and he's either going to declare us as righteous or just or he's going to look at us and declare us as unrighteous or unjust. Catholics and reformers agreed there again. The problem was they disagreed on the grounds of that declaration. What led God to declaring one as righteous or not? That's where they disagreed. Here's just a quick and simple explanation of what Rome taught. They believed that God would never declare a person as righteous until that person actually was righteous themselves. They needed this inherent righteousness. They believed that happened after God's grace was infused or poured into them at baptism. Then the rest of their life was about cooperating with that infusion of God's grace. So they believed that it started at baptism, rest of their life, that infusion of God's grace that they received at baptism, they were supposed to cooperate with for the rest of their life. So not completely works righteousness, right? Because God's grace is there, faith is there, of course Christ is involved, but their works still play a huge part in why one would be declared righteous by God. Now why do I go through all of that? Because I'm a nerd and like theology, right? Like church history. No, that's, well, I am that type of a nerd. I do like theology. I do like church history, but I go through all that for a couple of reasons. First, so that you can hear all of that, then compare it to sola fide and see sola fide has really good news. That it's not something, again, whether you work on your own or that you receive the grace of God and then you try to work, that's the good news. It's receiving the righteousness of Christ through faith. That's the good news. That's why I go through all that. But secondly, the reason I go through all that is because I want you to see what these men were dealing with and then what they did about it. How did they respond? Right? They didn't just say, oh, okay, Mr. Pope, that's your truth and that's okay because you have your truth and I have mine. So let's just agree to disagree and coexist. No. They actually went to war over this. They studied and they studied and they studied and then they protested. And remember, this wasn't the Roman Catholic Church that we probably think of now. The church had significant amount of power in that day. And at that time, really everyone believed God, had some sort of idea of God, and they really wanted to know whether or not they were right with that God. They wanted to know whether they were justified so they're looking at the church for that answer. And Rome at the time had this monopoly on spiritual matters. And therefore, in a sense, you could say, had control of the culture. Because you could say, how the church goes, so the culture goes. 
So these men simply said, show me in the Bible. Show me in this book right here where what you are saying, where what you are teaching is actually true. Because if you can't, I can't join you. I can't follow you. I can't come under your authority. Now, we won't get into any more detail on Rome's teaching, but this is the main truth that Martin Luther came to. Scripture didn't teach that a sinner could be made righteous through cooperating with an infusion of Christ's righteousness. Rather, it taught that a sinner could be declared righteous through being covered by the righteousness of Christ. What he called an alien righteousness. A righteousness that wasn't our own. It was outside of us, not inherent to us. Where did he get that? This book. And our text is just one of those places, so let's finally actually look at it. Paul writes, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So he's asking this. You guys want to know how one is justified before God? Well, let's go back and see how the father of our faith, Abraham, was justified before God. He wanted to see how Abraham was made right before God. Remember, he's using an example to show that justification through faith alone, in Christ alone, and he's not just using any example, he's using a supreme example. He's using the father of the faithful. Now, that's important for us to see. This use of Abraham and then later David in our text shows us that from this text, first, that sola fide wasn't a truth that was established in the 16th century by the reformers. All they did was rediscover it, name it, and of course teach it. It also wasn't established by the first century by the apostle Paul. He taught it, and, it, and he magnifies it here, and also again in, in his letter to the Galatians, but sola fide is a truth that goes back to eternity past in the mind of God. And God's the one that chose to reveal it as truth thousands of years ago in the time of Abraham and then of course later David. This shows us that there has never been another way to be justified. There has never been another way to be saved. It doesn't matter if you're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. The teaching that God was all about law in the Old Testament and now grace in the New Testament is a false teaching. God has always been about grace and he's always been about one gospel of grace. The only way throughout the Bible to be saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The alone piece means that nothing else could be in place of it and nothing else could be added to it. Not works, not law, not sacraments, Nothing else could be added to it. We see that here as Paul continues in verse two. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul's saying here, there's no way that Abraham could have been justified by works because if that was the case, then he would be able to boast about it. And that's not gonna happen before the one true and living God. God, as we learned in scripture, is a jealous God. He's not going to share his glory with another. So it's impossible to be justified by any type of works is what Paul's saying there in verse two. He continues in verse three. For what does the scripture say? That's something easy that we can take from our text too, right? What do they say, pro tip? When you have a question that you want answered, do what Paul did here. For what does the scripture say? 
Paul here is calling them to the Old Testament. And the passage that he's quoting from is Genesis 15, where at the time, Abram, he tells Abram, Abram, look up into the sky. Look at the stars up into the sky. You see all the stars? If you can count them, he asks. If you can count the stars, so shall be your offspring. Obviously, there's millions and millions of stars in the sky. So Abraham's like, I'm going to have that many offspring, God, but I don't have one offspring right now. Have you looked at me? Have you seen how old I am? Have you seen how old my wife is? I mean, you created it. Do you know how offspring are made? Right? Abraham's thinking this is hard for him to believe, but that's not all he had to believe. When God said, hey, look up into the stars and so shall be your offspring, what he also had and what he was also telling Abraham is that there was going to be one offspring that was going to be the Messiah. There's going to be one offspring that was going to be the savior of the world. There's going to be one offspring that was the one that was going to come and make all things new, including Abraham. So Abraham's like, that's a lot to believe, right? That's difficult to believe. So that's what God communicated to Abraham at this time in Genesis 15. Let's now look, in, as we continue in verse three, how Abraham responded. It said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is interesting. In the original language, when they wanted to emphasize something that they were saying, they would take that word and they would put it at the front of the sentence. It's called the emphatic position. This sentence actually reads, believed Abraham, God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul wanted to, to emphasize not Abraham, but belief. Why did he want to emphasize belief? Because look at the, what the verse says. It was that belief that then led to, it was counted to him as righteousness. So already we have this picture of God as a judge so we learned about justification. Well, now we need to see him as this accountant type figure. This counted to or credited to is an accounting term. It's referring to God's books. He's saying that Abraham's account was empty. There was no righteousness in Abraham's account. But then something changed that. Something happened that led to a change. That something, verse 3 says, was Abraham believed God. He believed God's revelation to him. He believed what God had told him. Ultimately, he believed upon Christ. That's it. Paul doesn't say he believed God and then after he worked his way to righteousness, he was then declared righteous. He also doesn't say that Abraham worked his way to righteousness without any belief at all. He actually goes to great ends to say that this is, how, this is not how one is justified. In verse four, he makes this contrast. It says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, right? If you hired me to remodel your bathroom, that's way too hypothetical. Let's make this more re realistic. If you hired Alex Connors, maybe, to remodel your bathroom, and then after he finished, right, you write him this check for a couple thousand dollars and then you go up to him and you say, here, Alex, here's your gift. Is that something that we would do? No, it's not something that we would do because you would be giving him what he was due, right? You wouldn't be giving him a gift. You would be paying him 
what he is due. So that's works, verse four. Verse five is faith. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. So that's also something interesting. When we look back at Abraham, Abraham was a moon worshiper. Abraham was wicked and vile and didn't know anything of God, right? And Paul goes back to Abraham to show that I'm the one that justifies the ungodly. I'm the one that justifies not people who come after me. I'm the one that picks people that aren't, don't know anything about me and are rejecting me and living like they don't know me. And I pick them out. I justify the ungodly. It says his faith is counted as righteousness. Again, if one is going to be declared righteous, covered by the righteousness of Christ, it's only through faith that that happens. That's what the Bible says. So why faith? Because faith is the instrument God chose to bring the righteousness of Christ to the believing sinner. And without the righteousness of Christ, we're all still condemned and dead in our sins. And not only that, but without faith, we are all still trying to find ourselves. We're all still trying to search for significance. We're all still trying to work for our worthiness and exhausting ourselves with trying to be satisfied, trying to find satisfaction. I'm sure we all can relate to that. I know I can. We all search for significance all the time. We're always looking for are we worthy or not. But here's the deal. We all have a deep hole in our heart, deep hole in our soul that is God-sized, therefore can only be filled by God. And without faith, it will never be filled. So that's why faith. But if that is true, if faith is how one is justified, then we better actually learn what it is. So our second point to wrestle with is what, what is faith? What it actually is it? Two things I want us to see about faith in terms of what it is. First, what did the reformers mean when they say fide or faith? And second, what does it mean that faith is the instrument? One of the questions that the reformers had to address as they were being challenged by their adversaries was whether or not faith was just this intellectual assent to God or even this assent to the specifics of the gospel. This was a really good question. To use myself as an example, before I was converted, if you had asked me, did I believe in God, I would have said yes. And then after I heard the gospel preached, if you would have asked me, did I believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died and rose again, again, I would have said yes. But that really didn't change anything about my life and for sure didn't have the true gospel impact that Paul talks about in Ephesians, that from that faith, we would then go and do good works. I was still living however I wanted. Maybe you could say the same about your history with Christianity. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Well, this was a concern for Rome. They thought that the Protestant teaching of justification by faith alone was going to encourage an immoral life. A life that didn't uphold the law like Paul taught us at the end of chapter three. So the reformers heard this and said, that's actually a pretty good point. So let's define it. And they came up with this definition that had three components. 
These three are known in Latin as notitia, which is this cognitive piece, an understanding of the general content of who God is and the specific content of what the gospel is. Ascensus, which is the agreement piece, one assents or agrees to the content of the gospel. They agree that the content of the gospel is actually true. Then the piece that I was missing prior to my conversion and the most important piece, because without it, there's no true saving faith or what Martin Luther called fida vive, a living faith, which is fiducia. Fiducia is the personal trust piece, a personal trust in the person and work of Christ for one's salvation. So those are the three components, notitia, ascensus, fiducia. If you are, have been united with Christ, those three have happened. That's true saving faith. All of them are necessary for that, but more importantly, these components show us that faith is just the instrument. It's not our faith that saves us, it's what the object of our faith that saves us. You may have already picked up on this from earlier, but faith always has an object, right? If I have faith that I'm going to be able to finish this sermon without passing out, then the object of my faith is me, right? It's my ability to talk in front of people without passing out. Well, the object of faith in our text and throughout the Bible is Christ, his person and his work. We'll learn more about that next week as we, pray, or as we preach through Christ alone, but we see it in our text when it says righteousness in verse three, righteousness in verse five, righteousness in verse six. It's referring to that phrase I said was important before, the righteousness of God. It's not any other type of righteousness. It's the righteousness that comes from God. And back in chapter three, verse 22, where does he say that righteousness comes from? He says the righteousness of God comes through faith in what? Jesus Christ. So it's not just this understanding of the content of the gospel and then an agreement with that content. It's a personal trust in it for salvation. With our faith, we are saying that nothing else can save. Salvation belongs to the Lord and Jesus Christ is that Lord. He saves in him alone. So justification sola fide, justification by faith alone is really just shorthand for the for affirmation that justification is by Christ alone, by his righteousness. And there's nothing else that we could add. There's nothing else that we could do to gain that righteousness, to earn that righteousness, to merit that righteousness. That's a righteousness that's received. All we can do is believe it in order to receive it. Faith is the instrument by which we receive the righteousness of God. So that's faith. And as we come then to our last point, which am, am I about 10 minutes in? like I'm about 10 minutes in. As we come to our last point, I want to take us back to the passage that we preached last week. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter two. It'll also be up on the screen. I want to specifically look at verses eight through 10. So let me read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There it is again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. So it's not you working for it. It's not you cooperating with grace. It's not you pleasing people. It's not you meriting your own salvation. 
It is a gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Again, God is not going to share his glory with another. But verse 10, for, he, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reformers coined a phrase as they were being challenged with this whole faith alone thing. And they said, justification is by faith alone. It is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. It is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Why? Because faith changes a person. It changes how they live. And that brings us to our last point. How then should we live? How should sola fide impact us today? I wanna look at that through the lens of something that should be familiar with all of you guys, with most of you guys anyway, gospel community and mission. But I'm gonna change the order up a little bit. Let's first look at community. Here's some questions. How are we living with those in our community? If we are put in right relationship with God through faith and not by working our way there, is it different for our horizontal relationships? In other words, are we making people work to be in good standing with us, to be in good fellowship with us? Or are we believing that we have to work to earn a good standing with our missional community? Do we believe that we have to be someone we're not? Do we believe that we can't be vulnerable and show who we really are? I know that community is scary. It's hard to let people into our lives and to trust them with the deepest parts of our life, especially if you have a history of being hurt, a history of being wronged. But sola fide reminds us of this. Because we are saved by the righteousness of Christ, therefore have God's full forgiveness and acceptance and love. Right, isn't that something that's good to hear? God is for us, not against us. God has put us in his light and out of darkness. That's good news to hear. Because of that, nothing else really matters. Nothing else really matters. If that is true, we should be able to walk into any room and be who we are because who we are is one, our people who have been united with the king of the universe. One who got up out of the grave. One with who all things were created through and for. That's good news. That's who we've been united with. We should be able to come into community and be vulnerable, be who we truly are because who we are is one who's been united with Christ. Secondly, mission. This can also be a scary thing, right? Especially in our culture today. But sola fide is exactly what we need to, in order to live in our culture, but also to be on mission to our culture. The same thing that I just said about community applies here. No matter where we go in culture, regardless of how hostile it may be to us as Christians, regardless of how hostile it may be to the gospel, through sola fide, we have been covered with the righteousness of Christ and united with him. So literally, that's what my sons say all the time, literally, everywhere we go, our dad owns it. Have you thought about that? No matter where we go in this world, on this earth, our dad owns it. Our older brother 
is the king of it. That should do something to us. That should give us a humble confidence to go wherever we have to go and be who we are in Christ, not being ashamed of the gospel that made us who we are in Christ. But also, sola fide is what people in our culture need so badly, especially in the face of our current cultural wars we're in. All we have in our culture right now is works righteousness, isn't it? All we have is works righteousness. But it's not God who's condemning people in our culture. It's the mob. Say something they don't like, you're canceled. Do something they don't like, you're canceled. Say something 40 years ago that they find out about that they don't like, you're still canceled. Be in relationship with somebody that says something they don't like and you don't completely condemn that person, you're canceled. Example after example continues to come out where this is happening. It is wicked. Cultural Marxism that says that this whole world is made up of only two types of people. You're either oppressed or you're the oppressor. That's the dominant worldview in our culture currently. And where it comes into play with being canceled is if you say something that is even perceived as, hurt, perceived as hurtful to that oppressed, what they believe is the oppressed class, the mob's condemnation comes down hard. And with this worldview comes no version of forgiveness, no version of love covering a multitude of sins, no version of mercy or grace. It's only law, it's only condemnation. Again, it is wicked. The unfortunate thing is that there are plenty of Christians even leaders in evangelicalism that have supported this worldview and try to fuse it with the Christian worldview. They are doing what the Galatians were doing when Paul wrote his letter to them. The Galatians were adding to the gospel and so are these people who hold this false worldview. They may hold to grace through faith in Christ, but for them it seems to be grace plus critical theory. Grace plus, for faith plus, wokeness. Christ plus anti-racism, gospel plus LGBTQ lifestyle acceptance. And when it comes to mission, these people who have done this, who have tried to merge these two worldviews, when it comes to mission, all they're doing is proclaiming a different gospel than the true gospel and one that isn't what our culture needs to hear. Our culture needs to hear the true gospel. The gospel that says, you know those sins that you've committed or those foolish things that you've done in your life that this mob is trying to ruin your life over, those actually aren't the full picture. You are actually much worse than those things. And the one who you have to answer to for that is much more glorious. He matters way more than any sort of mob, no matter what type of people or how many people make up that mob. But instead of him canceling you or publicly crucifying you for your lawless deeds, no matter how vile they are, if you put your faith in his son alone and not your moral record, he will forgive you, cover you with the righteousness you need to be part of his family and to have eternal life with him in paradise. That's what our culture needs to hear. And that's the message that sola fide brings. Lastly, gospel, 
You probably already got it from the last two, but let's keep going. How is this good news for us? What is this saying about our identity in Christ? Well, if you are a Christian, again, you have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in our text, Paul, quoting from King David, says that means we are blessed. Look at the last couple verses of our text. Now here, this is, this is a declaration, right? That means that when David wrote this, what he was doing, he was proclaiming it over himself and he was proclaiming it over his people. He wanted them to hear this. Martin Luther, the Psalms, you're supposed to be singing the Psalms, right? So we wanna sing the Psalms. Why something Martin Luther said, and I keep quoting Martin Luther, we're trying to catch him up to C.S. Lewis with all the quotes that we say C.S. Lewis does, trying to catch Martin Luther up. But what he said is singing is important is because singing is like saying something twice. Singing is like saying something twice. So he knew the importance of another thing he said, beating the gospel truths over your head. Beating your, your head, beating it over your head is what he said. That's what we need, gospel truths over our heads. So this is a declaration that David is giving his people. Because I hear this in MC all the time, right? I know the truths of the Bible. I just struggle to believe them. I know what the Bible says. I just struggle to believe it. Well, if that is you, and I can include myself in that group, as you're asking the Holy Spirit to open up your heart to those truths, Preach those truths to yourself and your family, your blood family and your faith family. That's what MC is about, preaching the truths of the gospel to each other. Spend less time listening to yourself and what you think about yourself and spend more time talking to yourself with what God says about you in his word. So verse seven Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Boom, that's one blessing. If you, you were once evil, wicked, vile, you were following the prince of this world, rejecting God and all of his goodness. And for that, what do you deserve? The Bible says the wages of that is death. You deserve death, you deserve hell. But through faith in Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. We kind of understand forgiveness, don't we? We forgive people all the time in our tainted, fallen version of forgiveness, but this is what the Bible says here about our debt. The Bible says this word for forgiveness is a word that, that means sent away, right? You're forgiven. Your sins are sent away. And how far does it send them away? The Bible says, again, as far as the east is from the west. I think that's the east. As far as the east is from the west, right? An infinite distance is how far God sends our sins away if we've believed upon Christ. He completely forgives us. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Boom, that's another blessing. God covers our sins completely, right? Like the hymn says, not in part, but in whole. And look at it, it says sins, not just one sin, right? Not just the few sins that he covers in whole. That's not just the sins that you've committed prior to your conversion, right? God doesn't just allow you to start over with a clean slate. He says sins, and it means all your sins, past, present, future, all of them completely covered. Martin Luther had this illustration. It's kind of a disgusting illustration, but it's true. He said, as sinners saved by faith, we are piles of dung that have been covered with snow. 
completely covered so that when God looks at us, he sees no dung. All he sees is snow. So when God looks at us, he sees no sin. All he sees is the righteousness of Christ. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Boom, that's a third blessing. This blessedness that David is talking about is the opposite of cursed. To be cursed means that you're under the wrath of God. Well, if that's the opposite, then to be blessed is to be under the favor of God. You're under the smile of God. His face, the greatest face that there ever could be, shines upon you. By saying it again here in verse eight, David is emphasizing the multitude of blessedness that we have as God's redeemed children. We're blessed to be God's children. So again, preach this to yourself. Listen, we don't have these blessings because we're awesome. I know that's part of us in us make wishes that was the case, right? That we just earned our way to it. That's not true. We don't have these blessings because we're awesome. We also don't have them because we're liked by people. Real life or social media life, we don't have them because we're liked by people. We don't have them because we have good theology and know the Bible like the back of our hand. We don't have them because we have a clean house, all the meals are prepped, all the laundry's done, kids are well-dressed, and our, all of our to-do list is accomplished. We don't have them because we're unique. We don't have them because we're normal. The only means by which we have them is by being counted as righteous. And the only way that that happens is through true saving faith, sola fide. Receive that this morning. And as we come to the table, remember that even this doesn't save us. It's not sacraments that save us. Sacraments add nothing to our salvation. Again, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Even this meal is something we do by faith. This physical thing, doing something spiritual in us. It's a reminder of what Christ did to purchase our justification, to purchase our salvation. And by taking it, we're communicating our trust, our saving faith in Christ in his work. So let me pray, and then by faith, come to Jesus Christ this morning. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for that you're so gracious, Lord, that uh, it's not by our own means, Lord. It's not by our own works. It's not by some law that we could fully satisfy ourselves, But by grace, it's through faith that we are saved. Lord. So I pray, Lord, you would take the truths that were been communicated this morning, Lord, and you would make them real to us. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't have true saving faith, maybe they've just have that cognitive peace. Maybe they just have that sensus peace, right? They just agreed that Jesus Christ came and lived a life and died and rose again, but they've never put their personal trust in it, Lord. Would you give them that trust? By your grace, would you save people in this room today who are not saved. Lord, and those of us that are saved, would you renew a fresh taste of the gospel? Would it be tangible to us, Lord? Would we know who we are in Christ? And not just so that we can worship you. Yes, sometimes that is enough. We want to bring you glory. We want to bring you honor. We want to bring you praise. 
Lord, but we want to do that through our life. We want to do that through how we're living. And we currently live in a dark time. We currently live in a time that people don't know you. And our culture isn't living by the values that you've given. The values that would make everything else better in people's lives. People are rejecting that. They're suppressing that truth. Lord, and you say that you're going to use us, broken sinners, fallen people, finite people, as an instrument to go and bring the truths of the gospel to this community. We're gonna need your help there, Lord. So use today as part of that help. Use today as part of that grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.